0: I greatly respect uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner, who serves at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and is a preeminent New Testament scholar. But even more so, uh, a very humble man and a man that I am so thankful that uh, he's uh, willing to to talk with us about the Book of Romans. I was sharing with uh, Tom just a moment ago that uh, I'm finishing up the Book of Romans at the church that I pastor, and it's been uh, very uh, delightful and challenging, and uh, I've set up parameters to where I have to move through the book uh, pretty quickly, not taking a, uh, even a year in it, but taking a summer uh, through the book of Romans, and it's been challenging to encapsulate the theology of Romans, and I know that in so many ways, uh, as I was preaching through it, sharing with folks that I can't deal with everything, and even if you had probably 10, 20 years, you, you can't deal with everything in Romans. Uh, because there 's so much there, and it 's not only uh, theologically but also practically is how it works out uh, in the christian life so um, so tom i 'm thankful to have you again on the on the podcast. Thank you for your time and thank you for your willingness to to walk through a lot of the particulars and even the larger overarching story of romans
1: uh, yeah matt it 's great to be with you again. great to see you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Well, I'd love to just start out uh, with a big picture question and just ask you what is, in your view, and, and again, uh, just like with any book of the Bible, is it, we're, we're talking about interpretations here. And so, uh, you know, it's not, this is not the, 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 the thing, but as you read it, um, what would you say is the main theme of Romans? If you were to see somebody on the street and they... You know, sipping their coffee, and they say, uh, "What What's the Book of Romans about?" <laughs> Hopefully, somebody would say that, but it might catch you off guard. But what What would you tell them is the main theme of Romans?
1: Yeah, nobody's nobody's ever asked me that, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to that day. <laughs> I I would say that I think uh, Romans is about uh, the saving. Righteousness of God in the in the gospel in the in the good news of Jesus Christ. So I think it's so interesting that Paul begins the book by talking about the fact that he's mm-hmm. been set apart uh, for the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then what does he tell us? the, the gospel is about his son, uh, Jesus Christ. And then in one sixteen and seventeen, most most agree that those verses are the theme. We see that Paul's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God resulting in salvation to everyone who believes because the saving righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And I think we could say it solves, it solves the problem, at least the problem for us, mm-hmm. of God's judging righteousness. Mm-hmm. So it's, Romans is all about uh, the good news, the good news that folds in both Jews and Gentiles, every people group, into the saving orbit of god's plan I, mean, I don't want to go on too long here but it's the fulfillment <laughs> right yeah, It yeah. is paul say yeah. it's the fulfillment of all those old testament promises mm-hmm. i think that's why people you know we we look to romans because it is i don't think paul talks about all of his theology but he talks about a lot of his theology yeah. and for those of you who are interested theologically and i have differences from uh, the scholar in a number of places, but I'm not surprised James Dunn's theology of Paul uh spins off Romans for, for his whole um Pauline theology. Mm. Uh, you so because it's just so rich, there's mm. just so much there.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, how, how would you say, like, Romans? differs, because somebody could say the same for Galatians in, in some way, right? Or in, Col- well, Colossians talking about the supremacy of Christ, but like, how would you distinguish what Paul is doing in Romans as it relates to the gospel from Galatians? Or do you really see Galatians being uh, uh, subservient in, so- in some ways to, to the greater narrative that Paul's presenting in Romans?
1: Yeah, well, I, I don't argue, I don't argue as some have in the tradition that um, Romans is the complete exposition of Paul's gospel. So, you know, I'd answer it this way. I'd say, is it it the complete Pauline theology? No, I think it is written to a specific situation as is Galatians, as is Colossians. And I think it's illuminating to think of, okay, like we don't have, now we do have Romans one, three, and four, which is a confessional statement about Jesus being the son of David, according to the flesh, appointed son of God in power, by, you know, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. But we don't have in Romans the kind of uh, more detailed Christological statement you see in Colossians 1.15 through 20, right? Christ Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. the firstborn of all creation. We don't see a Christological statement like Philippians 2. Being in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be taken advantage of, so forth and so on. We don't even see... You know, we see nothing about the Lord's supper. Obviously, hmm. that's a big part of Paul's theology, right? Hmm. Hmm. We don't see, you know, if we if you think of eschatology, we learn things in First and Second Thessalonians, for instance, that we don't see see in in Romans. Or if you think of ecclesiology, hmm. there there there's teaching in Ephesians that takes us in. Newer and richer directions. I mean Romans, right? It's you know you have the 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 Romans fourteen and fifteen, how you work out things between the the weak and the strong. You have a short statement on spiritual gifts, and that's another area. Mm. Uh, And the First Corinthians full fills out more. So I Mm. I think we're helped to think Romans is a very comprehensive treatment of Paul's theology. But no, it is it isn't Mm. it isn't just his systematic theology. But the so the reason people come to it is it's probably his most comprehensive letter. Mm-hmm. Is it more comprehensive than Galatians? Mm-hmm. Galatians, Galatians, I think Galatians helps us understand Romans. And yep. I think Romans helps us understand Galatians. Yep. I, I think it goes both ways. So it's a, I'm mm-hmm. giving a long answer, but it's a complex, it's, it's a complex reality when we, when we think about uh Putting together Paul's theology, and I think it's a it's been a little too simplistic Mm -hmm. when people say, okay, here's Paul's systematic theology. No, you know, when we look at Romans, we talked about briefly the weak and the strong, primarily I think Jewish and Gentile Christians. Mm -hmm. So Jew-Gentile issues, they dominate the book, right? So we're not surprised Paul immediately starts talking about sin and the law, Mm -hmm. right? And then, and, and the law plays such a huge role, really, all the way through chapter 8. Mm-hmm. And then Romans 9 through 11, you know, it, what's the future of uh, ethnic Israel, and how do Gentiles fold into that? And then 14 and 15, you're the weak and the strong, and, and, and we talk about the eating of certain foods prohibited in the Old Testament. So if you think about it, right, it's Jew-Gentile issues dominate this letter. So it is occasional. Paul is writing to these Roman churches. He's dealing with that issue, but it's all from that great, massive theological perspective he has. Mm -hmm. And maybe, just another thing to say, maybe another reason it's a bit more comprehensive is he never met them before, Mm. right? Mm. So besides Colossae, every letter Paul wrote, Mm. he already knew the people. And even in Colossians, he knew them through Epaphras. Mm. But Romans is the only letter he wrote to a church he'd had no contact with, not even with one of his delegates, which explains, I think, why he begins the letter by talking about his gospel. I'm set apart from the gospel. Here's my ministry. Here's a short focus on what my gospel is. Here's what I'm appointed to do. And then, then he's off and running.
0: Yeah. You know definitely running that's for sure the how 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 did paul find out about these folks then if he, if he didn't have any direct contact with them was it just through hey rome is the seat of the roman empire or what 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 like how do you see like him getting this letter to them, and how did he find out about them? Because he does say, hey, this is the reason I was hindered from coming to you. I've heard about your faith. I know that you you all are able to teach one another, as he says in in chapter 15. Like, So how does he know about them very well?
1: Yeah, I think that's a a great question. You know, as one scholar said, I think, um, obviously, they didn't have the Internet, but in the early church, it was sort of like a holy Internet. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of travel
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the Greco-Roman world. I mean, mm-hmm. we know, right? Priscilla and Aquila came to Paul from Rome
2: mm-hmm.
1: when he's writing 1 Corinthians. So obviously Paul is an educated person, knew yeah. about yeah. Rome. I think Rome interested him in any case as the center of the empire, as the capital of the empire. Mm-hmm. But I think Paul Paul had a lot of information from fellow Christians. In, you know he in in Romans uh 16 he he mentions it depends on how you count it, 24 26 names mm-hmm. and uh, at least a lot of those people Paul knew showing the the travel was a more extensive than we might anticipate and and I think we have to add into this Paul was a missionary we know from Romans 15 we know from second corinthians uh 10 and other places as well, Paul, Paul as a missionary had a desire to plant churches where, the, where Christ wasn't named. You know, I, I know your, your heart beats with this, Matt, but so many people just think of Paul as a theologian, but he was a missionary, missionary pastor. I Maybe put the word missionary first, Mm-hmm. He's a missionary pastor. He wants to go point the churches where
2: mm-hmm.
1: Christ has never been named. And, and we know from Romans 15, he wants to use Rome as a launching point mm-hmm. for a mission to Spain, yeah. which is so fascinating yeah. because Paul's probably in his 60s. Most scholars speculate that he would have had to learn Latin. <laughs> I mean, I know I'm 66. Wow, taking on a new language and when you're older is hard, hard enough. And then, even even the the physical uh, endurance required. You know, Paul's physical endurance. You know, uh, five times re- re- receiving 39 lashes. I, I don't remember the figure, but imagine how how many miles he walked in his life. I mean, God must have given him an incredibly sturdy strong physical constitution. And, and I think the thorn in the flesh was some kind of physical malady. So, you know, it's just that Paul's driving devotion to get to Spain. Now we don't know, did he get there? Now uh, that it's a matter of speculation. Uh, you have Clement of, the, of Rome in 96, St. Paul got to the farthest point of the West. So that's only 30 years after Paul's death. Maybe I mean from if Clement's running from Rome, maybe the tradition is that he did get there. But we'll all have to find out in the future. We don't we don't know for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I love that you put a fine point on it that Paul, uh his theology is what was fueling his motivation. You know, as you read through, he's like, I have to go to Spain. I have to get there. Um it's all I, I think I explained to our church that it's almost like Paul is this thoroughbred horse and he's got a bit in his mouth and he's trying to keep pulling this right. he's like, he's, he, he sees a goal and the goal is not just the inclusion of the Gentiles in a generic sense, but he's, he sees them out at the outermost part, out, outermost reaches of the Roman empire. He says, I have to go there because they have to hear too. And I mean, that that's the only thing that can be attributed to why he's so, dogged in his persistence I mean you know we, we get shipwrecked or we get beaten or we get you know stoned we're like I think I, I think I'm good I think I'll just uh you know h- hang out in the synagogue where people are God and just kind of help teach them but there was something driving Paul that was much bigger than him I, I'd love to hear you just kind of reflect on on that as it relates to I mean when you talk to most you uh, you know 66 year olds, 65 year olds, I mean, they're not thinking in that category of there's more yet to be done, as opposed to most in North America are thinking about retirement and those kind of things. I'd love to hear, like, what, what do you see as a malady or a shortcoming or a weakness in our theology that's not pressing us out and it's, and it's causing us to be not as passionate?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, I want to back up and say um, um, another thing first, and then I'm going to answer the question. I think Paul's a great model as a missionary because some sometimes those in missions they really want to reach people, but they de-emphasize theology. Mm -hmm. For Paul, it's both, Mm -hmm. and you you said that right. His theology uh, was was the ground of his mission, and that's something we really need to. relearn in every generation. Theology and mission aren't opposed to one yep. another. Yep. They belong together. And that's we we cannot lose that. Otherwise, you know, we you can face situations we where you have people out there allegedly sharing the gospel, but actually <laughs> the people the people who are so-called receiving don't even know what they're really receiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're can, not they're not taught adequately.
0: Yeah, can you can you uh Elaborate on that a little, because I, I think that's a, a great place that I was not planning on going, but I think it is so key, like as it relates to missions, as it relates to the practice, right? Because because in some sense, we're all miss mission missionaries in whatever corner of the world that we find ourselves, and some go to different cultures, but As we look at Scripture, particularly at Romans, we see that Paul is saying, no, 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 you are to be thinking about other people. You're to be looking out for the needs of others. You're to be thinking of yourself as being sent by God himself. Um, But there is there does seem to be this even the folks that do go into more hostile territory all the way to folks that are staying in their own culture is there's this tendency to want to find the lowest common denominator or the least offensive way to talk about spiritual things, as opposed to saying, no, 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 Jesus is God. (laughs) Like, I don't want to offend them because they're not, you know, they don't even believe God is So like, why is there such a, a bifurcation or a division between this theology and like, because people want to, I mean, I hear a lot of people like, I want to grow in my understanding of, you know, the hypostatic union of Christ. You know, and you're like, okay, well, that, that's great. Uh, what are you doing to explain who Jesus is to your neighbor? Because those things are not at odds with each other. So, like, what do you see? Because you you also serve as an elder at a at a local church there in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, what what do you, what have you seen? In your in your pastoring and your teaching, that causes Christians to want to divide those things.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I just want to say we have—I should probably know the right number—but we have fifteen to twenty missionaries uh, out in the field from our from our church, and that's one of the things that really encourages me. Is uh, they do have this strong theology, so. how how does it show up if you have a deficit? Mm. Um, It Mm. shows up if you have a deficit as, uh, yeah, as you said, the lowest common denominator. I mean, this can happen on the streets of our city. Mm. You can go to uh, various places and get people to pray a prayer. And that may be legitimate, but do they, they've got to understand well what they're doing and that means they've got to have a whole biblical worldview i mean really this brings us into acts although it's implied in romans right but it's paul preaches different sermons peter in the synagogues than he does when he starts with in in athens right in athens he has to back up and say you know there's there's a there's a creator god there's there's one god who created the world. I mean, he doesn't have to start there in the synagogues. That he he can he, pretty quickly they can go in this, uh, the synagogues that Jesus is the promised uh, Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. But but what happens, I think, on the field quickly is uh, we can get a kind of superficial allegiance mm-hmm. that isn't rooted in a biblical worldview because it is a biblical worldview. It, I'm not saying it takes forever to teach it to people, but it does take some time. And um, so, you know, you could fall off on the other side. Yeah, but I'm just going to sit in my room mm, mm, and, mm-hmm. and read um, John Frame and um, Bob Inc. and Wayne Brudem or whatever, which yeah. praise God for all of them. And that that's all I'm going to do. Uh, obviously, people have different... Foci in their ministries. I'm not, I'm not overseas. You're not overseas. We recognize we have certain guests, but it 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 brings us back to what you said about the 65-year-old or whatever. Yeah. You know, I'd say two things. One or three things. First, some people, right, when they reach that age, perhaps they're physically incapacitated. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, they're they're not strong enough to do it. I mean, Paul, like I said, Paul was super strong. <laughs> Not everybody's strong enough. Mm-hmm. Strong enough to do that. Uh, secondly, of course, many people aren't called to go. Mm-hmm. Many people are supporters at home and are doing a significant work at home. Mm-hmm. Third, third, I just want to say there are sixty-five mm-hmm. plus sixty-year-olds who are doing work who do go out, and uh, you know when I meet people like that, they are. Uh, Not that it's easy, but there's a joy in them. Mm -hmm. There's a, you sense a purpose and joy in their life that it's really exciting to talk to people Mm -hmm. who who feel so-called. And then there's the fourth category that I think is, um, you know, we both went to Bethlehem Baptist with John Piper, and I think John speaks on this. They're just basically on vacation waiting to die. I mean, honestly, I just want to say how tragic, you know. Um, Obviously, if you're suffering from health problems, you can't. You can't. Maybe all that all your attention is focused on that as you get older. But just to just to spend your last years only—I don't think it's wrong to play golf, but only playing golf, only vacationing—that honestly i'm I'm not here to make people feel guilty. I just think that's depressing yeah.
0: you know? it really does I mean it has the net effect of shrinking your soul because all of your concerns revolve around your comforts and your entertainments and your leisure, and you slowly through habit teach yourself that that is the ultimate goal of the last twenty years of your life um because i I can't you know you mentioned Paul having a thorn in the flesh um you know he <laughs> that didn't keep him you know licking his wounds as it were in a jail. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go with a limp. And because, because there just seemed like from the very beginning, from chapter one, all the way to chapter 16 is this, this saturation of this gospel is so important that all people know I can't shut up. And I would yeah. be wrong to shut up. I have an obligation. I have a debt of, of gratitude, not only to God, but to others to tell them about this gift. And yeah, you're right. Like we don't want to guilt trip people because um, it, it, it can work for a little bit, but it doesn't have staying power. And so perhaps the, 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 the answer is for us to rehearse what the gospel is in our own lives, that God saved you when you were still a sinner. And he, and, and if you can get, get held by that, then it, it's okay if you go with
1: a limp, you know, or you have some kind of malady. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, when you meet, when you meet a person who has a purpose in their life and a joy, you know, I think to hold that up and Mm. say, you know, I think of, uh, I think of a person we both know about something my son said about Dr. Gentry. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Did you ever have Dr. Gentry? I did. I did. Yes. And so both Daniel and Patrick had him. And one thing I love that they said about him is they said, he, he, the the whole circumference and orbit of his life is when he's teaching.
2: Mm.
1: He doesn't notice anything else. He doesn't even notice anything else happening Mm. in the room. And I, you know, I just love that because he's all in, you know? Yep. And that's, you know, um, that's what makes life. Yeah worth living. We live, we have a, we, it's it's a person finally, but we have a cause, we have a purpose. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, you know, that what does the psalmist say uh, in our, as we get older, I mm. th- resonate with this, I want to pass the truth on to another generation. Mm-hmm. I want, in the few years I have left, I want, I want to help other people spiritually, we'll, we'll, we'll soon be gone. So, mm-hmm. And that's Paul, right? That's Paul and yep. Romans. That's Paul wanting to go to Spain. Yep. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to burn out in a good sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. And in, and in, and in, in uh, fairness, I would say the same is true of you, Tom, when it, whenever you preach and teach that that's something that you are, you're all in, you're, you're not noticing, you know, the other things because this, this message and this, this truth is so important that you want your hearers to hear it. And I think that if we could let that, get a hold of us, then we wouldn't care what our, it, it, you know, we wouldn't care about looking strange to our neighbors. You know, there's just seems to be such a, a tendency in our lives to fear man. And uh, Paul didn't let that fear um, keep him from doing, you know, he he talked about to, to, to the, uh, to the Corinthians, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not that strong i'm I'm pretty weak when I come to y'all and and uh there seems to be a, a tendency even for him that I know that I'm you know not all that I need to be, but I'm not going to let that keep me we We can look at our weaknesses and and instead of uh that being a hindrance to what we have left to to be in order to be able to speak the gospel, we can actually use that as the very platform we we can preach from right is the weakness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to, um, you know, I I mentioned to you earlier that I love, you know, chapters 8, chapters uh, 12, chapter 14 and 15 personally, uh, and chapter 8 being probably my favorite um, out of the chapters. And and if I forced you to choose your favorite chapter, what would, as distinct from the most important, and they may be distinct, they may be different, what would you say is your favorite
1: chapter in Romans and why? Yeah, yeah, I think. I think we agree I, <laughs> if I had to choose i love them all but i i would i think chapter eight is so amazing mm. you know it's long 39 verses mm. and there's so much in there you know you have mm. the you have the power of the spirit to live to live a new life i mean that is so encouraging of course the way it starts there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus so you have that comfort right away in verse one you have the power of the spirit to live a new life, you have mm-hmm. that, and, and then the, the, I, the, I would argue that the theme of hope,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Um, mm-hmm. you know, summarizes that chapter, mm-hmm. and, and 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 no one can live without hope, mm-hmm. and so we see that you know there's the hope of a new new creation. We 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 experience that right now in the pandemic, right? We we this world right now, at least in Louisville, Kentucky, it's a beautiful sunny almost, maybe it's going to hit 60 degrees today. It's beautiful outside. It's a beautiful world, but it's, it's fallen. Mm-hmm. It's a fallen creation. There's a pandemic and there's tsunamis and that uh, create havoc. And, and Paul says, right, in verses 18 through 25, there'll be a new creation coming. Mm-hmm. And then he mm-hmm. says, right, mm-hmm. uh, the Spirit prays for us which I take it to mean the Spirit's always praying for us, even when we're not conscious of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Those prayers are being answered. And then all things work together for our good. We could talk about that for a long time. And and then that ringing peroration at the end, you know, Mm -hmm. if God is for us, who is against us? And you did not uh, spare his own son and so forth and so on, who can separate us from the love of Christ? So I think, if I remember right, the first sermon I ever preached at Southern in the chapel, I, I picked Romans 8, 31 through 39, if I remember correctly, because hmm. so, I, I love that passage. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's so amazing. You know, what Calvin said, Calvin said, you know, how do we know that the Bible is God's word? Spirit seals it to our hearts, and I think we we experience that when we read a chapter like Romans eight, we're like, "This is mm-hmm. there's nothing else like this." I mean, they're right; it's the whole Bible, mm-hmm. it's God's word. But the Spirit, we read it and we think, "That's that's the ring of truth, isn't it?" Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's sealed home to our hearts by the Spirit. We yeah. can't prove yeah. it to somebody. Those who doubt, um, you know, we we pray for them because we recognize, finally that that's it's due to a spiritual perception
0: Mm -hmm. yeah would you would you also argue then that chapter eight is the most important in the framework
1: of paul's letter well i i think the hinge passage is uh 321 through 26 okay and why is that Uh, because there you know paul's already argued that all people are under sin and then in 3:21 through 26, so we, everybody's under the judging righteousness of God, Jew and Gentile, yeah. yeah, Jew and Gentile. And then he explains in 3:21 and through 26 how we can experience the saving righteousness of God, which mm-hmm. is right through faith in Jesus Christ, but based on His redemptive death on the cross and. My my argument is that the word there is, and because Christ is the mercy seat mm. from the Old Testament, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I think has the idea of propitiation, mm-hmm. but Christ is the mercy seat where our sins are satisfied. So in the cross, this is why the cross is so amazing, right? Both the saving and judging righteousness of God come together. Mm. Yeah. So his, his, um, his mercy and his justice, mm-hmm. right? His... Uh, his, his grace and his holiness, so that's that is why that's the hinge passage because God does not compromise at all his holiness to save us and why is that so fundamental? I would say it's the biggest problem in our society today, and it's the reason it's the reason it's hard to share the gospel today mm. is people don't take seriously sin. Mm it's not a big deal to people. I mean, come on, of course God would forgive me. God's nice. And uh, it, and sin's not a big deal. And so it, those first chapters of Romans are, you, you, we can never get away from them because really the cross for most people in probably around the world, but I'm thinking of American culture, the cross is, I mean, what a waste. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, what, why, why do you need that? Yeah, I mean, we're okay. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, who who said this? I and mean, you know, God will forgive. That's His job. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. God should forgive us. But Romans one through three, obviously, other parts of the Bible tell us no sin. Sin is 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 heinous. Actually, and I I, I see it. I think more clearly the older I get. I am a very narcissistic, mm. self-absorbed in in and of myself, apart from the gospel.
0: You mean that doesn't go away after over decades of walking with Christ?
1: No, I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think <laughs> so so, but I think that's a very hard thing to face. Mm. We can really only face that in the light of the gospel because it would bring such despair. Because yeah. there is a kind of despair and discouragement. I get I get discouraged when I look at my own heart, you know. Mm. But then there's the gospel. Mm. But the way we handle it in our society is we say, no. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, no. Deep down inside, you're beautiful. Mm. Children, you know, there's a sense in which this is true. Children are made in the image of God. Children are beautiful. They're like lovely flowers. Just let them blossom and bloom. Let them be what they are. It'll, It'll turn out wonderfully. But anybody who's had kids, I've had four wonderful kids, but it's not like that. Right? Mm-hmm. Children uh, Children are like their parents. They're selfish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're, and it's, and, you know, I'm struck by this with 10 grandkids. Wow. It's raising a child in this world. You know, apart from society, it's just a ton of work
2: mm.
1: because we're, if you understand what I mean now, we're little savages, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. And that's what the cross is about. We, we are savagely selfish, mm. and uh wow um this is isn't this the most amazing thing in the world? God loves us mm-hmm. God mm-hmm. loves us and uh and once and if you really feel that mm-hmm. you don't it's not just theology, but if you really feel that, then yeah, Michael Horton said in one of his early books, putting amazing back into the word grace, yeah, it really is amazing grace yeah. it it reminds me of a person who sang the song like this. I don't, have you heard this man? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a soul like me. They took the word wretch.
0: I have not heard. So so you're saying that this is something that is actually popular right
1: now. Well, I don't know if it's popular. I heard it sung, but I heard it sung and I thought, of course, we're not wretches, right? Mm. but i thought my my i've preached on this in sermons i say isn't that a wretched thing to take (laughs) john newton's hymn and change it Mm. Mm. you know to take out the word wretch but that's that is so this is so huge to me Mm. we 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 need to know i need to relearn every day that i'm wretched because i want to tell myself even as a christian no no i'm not wretched I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all, but, but, but someone would say, well, you're being too
0: hard on yourself. You're being too hard on yourself. So, I mean, because yeah, you're not talking about going to your, you know, to your office and just like beating your back or like, like help, help kind of take us into the psyche of, of Tom Schreiner for a moment. Like you're not taught because that's where people hear they're like, Oh, you're calling yourself a wretch. Come on, man. You're not, you're not that bad. You're beautiful, which is true and not true. And this is what we're trying to highlight is that there are dark places in our hearts that the gospel is trying to shed light on to show us. But like, so can you just speak to that a little bit that, you know, you're not, are are you talking about, we just, hey, we really need to just beat ourselves up. I mean, obviously I'm framing it in a certain way, but I mean, because I have an idea of what your answer will be, but I would love to hear you articulate that. Like, what yeah. what are you talking about to, to where someone would say, well, come on, Tom, you're
1: a pretty awesome guy. I think you're a pretty awesome guy, you know? And so it's like, you're, yeah. I mean, always we have to think of the whole Bible. There's a sense we're made in the image of God. I like what Frank, Francis Shakespeare said, every person is magnificent. Mm-hmm. Every person is of titanic significance mm-hmm. and every person there's a beauty that's made in the image of God. So th- and yes, but in the other in another sense we're we're wretched. But no, I don't I don't I just I get glimpses of my wretchedness. Mm-hmm. I'm probably you know, it depends on personalities and who's listening right now. I think for myself, I probably need to think about that for myself more than mm-hmm. I do. Um mm-hmm. but but a right understanding of that mm-hmm. in the light of the gospel, at least for me. It doesn't lead me to despair. Mm-hmm. I have great hope because, you know, maybe Matt. I'm not thinking of anything right now, but I'm sure I could think of something. There's things I don't want to tell you yeah. that I've done in my life, because if you knew about them, if everybody knew everything about me, they wouldn't love me. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd, they'd 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 look on me and say, "Oh, you're you're a terrible person." Mm-hmm. So, but God knows god knows infinitely more even than we understand ourselves he knows he knows our evil mm-hmm. but he loves us anyway
2: yeah
1: he loves us and in, in christ so it, a right understanding of this wretchedness doesn't lead us to despair but to hope and mm-hmm. and of course i'm not denying woman's mm-hmm. eight. he doesn't leave us there yeah i'm i can say i've been changed i have new affections New patterns. I'm not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. I still struggle with sin. I believe Romans seven is Christian experience. Mm-hmm. But, but he, so I'm not saying we're just wretched worms. And every day I just say, "Oh, I'm so horrible," and yeah, another wretched day with a wretched <laughs> sinner. And that's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. But there's a sense in which I, I, I maybe I'm not communicating as well, that I get glimpses. Yeah. Of my attitudes, or mm-hmm. thoughts at my heart, and I think, "Wow, I know why Jesus had to save me. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. He had to save me from myself, at least in my experience. I mean, there are moments that I feel discouraged about myself, maybe even a little i don 't suffer from depression, some people do, and I suppose if you suffer a lot from depression and discouragement, you could take that thing too far, mm-hmm. right." Mm-hmm uh that's why we need pastors and fellow believers and small groups because i do know i, I think it's true some people will take that wretched mess, message and think well i might as well just kill myself Well, wow, yeah. that, that is not what i'm talking about mm-hmm. yeah so,
0: there's yeah there's work left to do so don't end it prematurely by killing yourself right there's yeah. there's and, a work that god
1: wants to do in your heart and your life and there's always hope yes you know i want to say to somebody who's depressed we all we're all different we all struggle with different things yeah life's not easy i'm not saying it's gonna be great in the future but Mm -hmm. i think there's hope there's Mm -hmm. always hope and when you're in when you're in a dark dark time you don't see that hope and it but it's still there objectively in christ
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yeah just thought of an analogy that you know just imagine a an inheritor of billions of dollars and using all of that money for the benefit of others or squandering on himself on you know profligate living. Um we would, you know, as as you quoted from Schaefer, that we are magnificent, made in the image of God, but we have squandered that inheritance, that that gift mm-hmm. on ourselves. And because the, you know, people, you know, talk to any person in the world and say, well, that money could have been used for great good but instead you squandered it and and i think in some ways that's that's a that that could be a helpful way to explain to people that that's what we're talking about that you are magnificent but you use it on yourself you are seeing all these things in reference to yourself and how is this relationship going to benefit me why is that person saying this to me like don't they know who i am and those kind of things but then also for the other on the other side of that like you mentioned that those who are struggling with depression i've you know i i do struggle with depression. At times. And um, being able to say, you know what, that is actually a very clear way of viewing yourself that you are without hope. But but with if you don't have Christ and that that's the the beauty of the cross is that in your despair, he comes to you and with open arms and says, yes, I, I know that about you. I know all of those secrets and I know all of those, you know, those desires and those actions that you've done and they are bad, come to me, and I will give you rest, you know, I think that you have to press into that, and then realize that he at the same time is also pressing into that, and he's wanting you to recognize it, so that he can bring healing, Um, because if we just kind of sew up the wound without cleaning it out, then it's a sickness that will spread, you know, yeah,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh
0: you mentioned uh at the beginning of our time just um some folks that, that take some differences of interpretation. I'd love for you to just mention just just a few things that you would caution people from uh as it relates to interpreting the book of Romans. If there are certain places that you're like, you know, there's there's some there's some interpretations of this passage that if you get it wrong, then you're going down. Not just a, a bad path, but you're actually like on a, on a beeline for some really problematic things in your life. I mean, c- could you just share a couple as it relates to uh, either thorny passages or uh, even the grander narrative of, of Romans?
1: Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the things that come immediately to my mind is one, you, I mean, Romans 5. I think it's really, and it relates to what we're talking about, Romans 5, 12 through following, I think it's really important to have a good grasp of original sin, hmm. the fallenness of, of human beings. So, I mean, again, we we really already talked about that, but if you don't see that, that is so fundamental. If you don't see the fallenness of human beings, then nothing else really makes sense. And I think it feeds into, back to Romans 3, those who either deny or minimize that Jesus' death was a penal substitutionary atonement. And I think that's always there's always people within the Christian church who, they might not outright deny it, maybe, it's, maybe some do. Could you just briefly define what that is for those who don't, aren't familiar a, with that term? A penal substitutionary atonement means, it's, it's really very simple. Penal means Jesus took the penalty we deserved, which is death. Mm -hmm. And Jesus took it himself. He was our substitute. So penalty, substitution. Mm -hmm. The penalty we deserved, eternal death, Jesus took on the cross as he experienced God's wrath, or God's wrath was placed upon him, so he suffered in our place, and uh, as the God-man, he took, I think, the, he, his, his sacrifice was of infinite significance, so he could, he could uh, atone for us all. Mm-hmm. So what some people want to say is Christus Victor. By that I mean, in the atonement, Christ mm-hmm. freed us from our sins. And I say to that, yes, yes, amen yes, Christ did free us from our sins. We're free from slavery. But I think that's based on, or the anchor for all of this is the penal substitutionary death of Christ. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's quite popular in some circles to say, I believe in Christus Victor, and they minimize penal substitution. Yeah, the question think, is, is,
0: how does how does Christ conquer? Right, Christus Victor is the theology that Christ conquered the grave. Christus Christ victor the winner or victory over death over sin over satan but the question is how did that happen
1: right right and what's our fund is you know you could conceive of Christ as victor as our fundamental our enemies are outside of us death mm. sin satan yeah yeah he, he he relieves us from all the enemies but penal substitution reminds us mm. <laughs> could say this too now the, the the fundamental problem is and back, back to the back to the fall, right? Back to Adam. Now, the fundamental problem is within. Mm. So that's, that's uh, I think, very crucial. And then I think it feeds into Romans 4, mm. which is in Romans 3 too. How was Abraham right with God? So that's the fundamental question in life. How can we be right with God? And I think Paul's argument is not by working for God, yep. but by believing in mm. Christ. mm mm-hmm so it's justification by faith alone
0: it's yeah and it's never- not even working with god right <laughs> in right. romans 4 it's not because i think there's a it's really popular in some christian circles to say well yeah god is my helper and we're we're getting victory together and it's like no 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 the the, the story particularly in romans 4 is that no abraham didn't work with god he believed god he believed in this 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 really eschatological hope, but, but he believed that God was faithful to his promise, not just of, his, of giving him the, the seed that he promised, but even the seed that he was pointing to. Yeah. So it's yeah. not, yeah, it's not God is my helper and he gives me the strength to conquer my enemies, but no, 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 you're the enemy and you need to be conquered.
1: And he did that for you so you could be free. Yeah. And, and so, so right. Verse five, of Romans four, but to the one who does not work, that's right I mean, that's right but believes on the one who mm-hmm. justifies the ungodly his wow. faith is counted as righteousness yeah. i mean what could be clear yeah. obviously there's a place there's a right place for works in our lives but it is not the it is not the basis of our relationship with god mm-hmm. so what a what a wonderful gospel that we have mm-hmm. we have a gospel that says god justifies the ungodly Amen. so i love that so I don't have to go out and say to people, are you good enough? Are you, Are you You know, are you, do you match up with what we, the kind of person we want in our church? No, we can go to everyone, everywhere. I preached in a church, I, was, I was in a small church plan. I was the associate pastor in California years ago. There were maybe 50 people there. There was an unbeliever maybe three rows back, just, we were in a little school. and I was preaching, I was coming to the end of my sermon. And I said, if you don't understand, if you don't understand that that at the last moment of his life, Hitler could have repented and been saved, I said, you don't understand the gospel. And he turned to his wife, because it was very small, and he goes, then I don't understand the gospel, <laughs> which he didn't. And uh, of course, you know, there are patterns in Hitler's life, no evidence that he did repent. That Giving yourself to that kind of evil, is a profound reality, I don't want to minimize that for a second, but he ended up you know he's actually died of a heart attack, but he ended up becoming a believer before he died, and he did come to understand the gospel, but the gospel that is that is so radical, so we can go you know we we have a broken society, broken people well, that's what we are as church- as a church we're broken people we're we're and we're not totally fixed yet, right but we're broken people who are offering to other broken people here's forgiveness here's hope here's new life god changes us and mm. and you, you you what you need to do is receive this with open hands so that is mm. that is an amazing message and there's actually people who they I think they view justification by faith alone. Oh, you know, those reform people, that's just so ab, not nice abstract theology. Why don't reform people always talk like that? But I want to say that is so practical. Yeah. That is that's what we can take to the streets. That's what we can take to everybody we're talking to. It's the most freeing and wonderful message in the world. And I discovered it. Well, I was raised as a Catholic, and I know there are Catholics who are Christians, but I wasn't, and I totally believed I had to be good enough. And I'd wonder, I wasn't very devoted as a young person, but I'd wonder once in a while, am I good enough? And I'd think, maybe I'm 51% good, hopefully, maybe, maybe I'll squeak in. But then when I heard the gospel, I thought, this is, yeah, Give, give up that whole little game of am I good enough? I'm not good enough, you know? Mm-hmm. Free. That's that's amazing. So you miss that, you miss that, and you miss everything. I mm-hmm. think.
0: Yeah, yeah so. that's so good. Yeah, I, because that's that's where I also like to go on this podcast is how does theology become practical? And you said that the that justification by faith alone is the most practical thing we could be giving to people. How 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 is that? Because it. It, this is a message, right? That that you are justified freely by His grace, by Christ's work of atonement on the cross and His resurrection. You're justified. Like, how how does that become practical as you're talking to somebody?
1: Yeah. Well, I I would just want to say, um, how, uh, and I, I mean this applies to me and you and everybody. How you. Uh, obviously there are dangers in what I'm about to say, but I think you'll understand, but you can follow up with questions. How you feel about yourself, how you feel about yourself is going to drive your life at the end of the day. And um, if you feel guilty Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, you're, so, you know, we talked about being wretched, but I don't think that's the primary feeling we have. If you feel I'm, I'm flawed, I'm guilty, I'm before God, you you have this cloud always hanging over you, then you're not going to be happy or joyful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times people say, well, justification by faith alone, how is it practical? Mm-hmm. I want to start by saying, what you feel about yourself drives everything else in your life. And if, if you... And, of course, this can be a struggle to experience this, right? But if you feel wow, the God of the universe the the ultimate reality in the universe the the, the one who created me, the one who the one who created everyone, the one who's in charge of everything that 's happening he he really loves me mm. he 's for me he He accepts me. Mm. I mean, how many people are striving mm-hmm. to be accepted for what they are? He accepts me. I don't I don't have to prove myself to him.
0: Mm-hmm. And and it's not he loves you in spite of yourself. He loves you as you are because of what Christ has done to pay. So it's not like he, I love you. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I'm not worried about that sin or that rebellion because I love you so much. It's like, no, no, no. I love you so much because that has been paid for.
1: Yeah, right. Exactly. And so then, and then I think that's an engine so that those feelings of Mm -hmm. joy and the, I think that's an engine and I, I don't want to leave this out for transformation. Yeah. You know, um, it's, uh, it's sort of like, you know, the best analogy is probably parents, right? We love our kids. We love our kids no matter what, but that love is never like, well. We don't care what you become. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that, now that's not a perfect. No analogy is perfect because yeah. right the final judgment, uh, mm-hmm. in in scripture, right. So, mm-hmm. but it but it is analogous. You know, I mean, I've said to my kids when they've been <laughs> in sin at times. You know, my kids are all walking with the Lord, but no matter what you do, I'm still going to love you. But that doesn't mean as a parent I'm happy about it. So. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. I'd love to, um, I was sharing with you before we started recording, just how much I love chapters 14 and 15, where it talks about the, the weak in faith and the strong in faith. I'd, I'd love to ask, how does someone who would look at themselves and say, well, Paul's talking to me, I'm strong in faith because I think you can eat meat. Sacrifice to idols to bring in, you know, First Corinthians narrative as well to that. But then I also don't I'm not sabbatarian or you know, any of these number th- number of things that to me say, Well, I'm a strong Christian. How how does one keep from being Proud and saying, I, I'm strong and I'm going to help you, weak one, in faith because obviously you're weak in faith because don't you know? Like this is what he, the word Paul uses is to despise. You know, don't despise the weak brother and the weak brothers, not to judge the strong brother. So, as it relates to the church and working our salvation out with fear and trembling, as he says in another letter. Like how how does this become practical for for us in our 21st century? Of strong and weak for one. I was talking about okay. How do we prevent pride? So let's maybe start there, and then and then I'd love to tease out some of the implications and and layer that onto our current culture of what what does that look like? Strong and weak. Um, so could you just speak to the, the the hubris factor, so to speak? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, if I, and I just want to back up. I think it's so interesting that Paul says to the strong, watch out that you don't despise the weak. End of the week, watch that you don't judge the strong. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that really fits psychologically, right? If you feel a little more free.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> either, Come on, man. Don't you shouldn't, don't, don't you know that you're free? Come on, eat it.
1: <laughs> right. And, and and when you're together with other strong believers, mm. you, what do you want to do? You want to mock the people.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's are, good.
1: yeah you, you want to rid you, you want to make fun of them you want to laugh at them oh, what's wrong with them whereas the, the weak they're tending to say uh these, these these people are what's wrong with these guys morally then it's not mocking so much but judging mm. these, these people aren't really following the lord mm. you know the, I don't think the strong are saying quite the same thing mm. which is why paul says to the weak God can make the strong stand at the final judgment Because the we begin to think maybe these people aren't even Christians. You know they're so liberal. Um, I'm not. I'm not talking politically right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, but what's what is the answer that Paul gives in Romans uh, fourteen? I really, I really think it's the gospel, Hmm. and he says, look, God's accepted. God's accepted both of you, and Christ is your final judge. Hmm. You're you're finally you're finally living. You can, you can reach a point, both strong and weak can reach this point where finally, you're, you're the authority, you're the moral conscience for other people. Mm. And I think Paul says, recognize there are areas in life, probably a lot of areas in life, where that's not so. You are, you are not the moral authority. These are, these are matters of, different, of legitimate differences of opinion, and we need to give each other space. And that's, uh, that's hard, especially we think of our contemporary world and with social media and everybody piles on and gets uh, very upset quickly, it seems.
0: Yeah, so how does that... Because Paul does, is not talking about those who are adding to the gospel like he does in Galatians. He says he's not talking to, to Christians who are saying it's Jesus plus circumcision to be saved. Uh, he's talk- but he's talking about something about preferences regarding preferences right or or how you the practice that people are are how how they view their, their christianity because I believe in your commentary you you believe that the weakened faith are actually jewish christians um can, can you can you take that and just Tease that out a little bit, and then overlay that onto onto these issues of social media, or onto these issues of within the church, the infighting that you see, um, the per- proverbial joke about the arguing over the the carpet color, or, or these kind of things. You know, because there's so much practical wisdom in these, particularly two, in these two chapters. I'd love to hear you just just. Wax on about what what that what that looks like in our contemporary culture.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I mean to to kind of reiterate what you said. It's it's not about the gospel. Paul doesn't Paul not suggest at all that either side is denying the gospel. So I think I think probably uh, both sides thought. You know, if people follow what we're saying, you're a better Christian. Mm. So you really get it. Yeah, you you're you're more mature, you're more godly, and uh and Paul wants to say, look, recognize, recognize that even and it what is interesting, even though the weak, I think Paul thinks the weak are wrong. But even though the weak are wrong, they may the 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 area in which they're wrong is not important enough to actually be necessarily a signal of their maturity. Mm. I mean, in terms of how they behave towards other persons. So a strong person may be right, Romans 14 and 15, on the eating of foods, and yet actually be more immature mm. in how they're behaving than a weak person, which is so, so complicated, isn't it? Wow. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah. because I think the strong, you know, we might tend to read that and think, well, the strong are better Christians because they know the right thing. Yeah. But for Paul, knowing the right thing Mm -hmm. First Corinthians eight. Yeah, Yeah. Knowing the right thing doesn't mean you're loving. And for Paul, the real indication of spiritual maturity is love. So I I have a long ways to go on this, but when we have, when I think it's so so what are we talking about practically? It's a when we recognize, when we recognize that we have a difference of opinion on on tertiary issues or debatable issues or issues of finally indifference among Christians, I don't mean they don't matter, but there's legitimate differences of opinion, that we don't, that we're mature enough to to not let our egos get in the way. So, uh, you know, even talking about certain political realities, right? That can get very hot very Mm -hmm. quickly. And just to recognize, you know what, you might start getting really animated. I feel animated about these things. And just to step back and say, I'm going to give that other person space to disagree with me. Maybe I'm going to let them have the last word. I really want the last word. And just to to accept, you know, wait. Somebody, I'm, I'm, you know, we just had an election. Somebody might disagree with me politically. Mm. Now, maybe I'm even going to say to them, I think some of your views are, are, are concerning to me for various reasons. I think that's fine. But, but I think that Paul is saying, give people a kind of space where you don't crush them in the way you talk to them and the way you treat them. And that can be, you know, that can be talking about spiritual gifts. I think, or the millennium, mm-hmm. or um,
0: these are those tertiary issues, meaning third level issues. Um, right. Yeah.
1: Right. Or, or you know, how we behave towards one another on social media and a lot of different discussions uh, that are that are going on. So, two. To preserve, I think Paul is saying the loving thing, obviously we, we don 't want to compromise on any truth, but we want to preserve we want to preserve relationships with people, and I think we can sense in a conversation you know i I went too far in that congregate in that conversation and I stomped on them a little bit, and I hurt them um, and i 'm saying i 've done that, right. Uh, I think Paul's saying, If it's the Gospel, of course, but be careful. Mm. it may not be the Gospel, it may just be your opinion on something mm. Mm. so yeah that that that's that's how I read what paul's saying there yeah that, that, that that's,
0: that's such, it's such a it's such a great point that you're bringing with with regards to love the 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 ethic right being the ultimate concern of paul's, like the strong like yeah, no yeah uh, he would call himself we the strong right is what how he starts chapter 15 he's like we the strong ought to we have an obligation to the weak um and so he's considering him in that way and so he's so that they're thinking correctly they're just acting not in accord with that they haven't grasped what it means to have that unity i mean even as you as you were talking i was reminded um you know, he says, "I myself" in, in verse fourteen of fifteen of chapter fifteen. He says, "I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another." And then he says, "I was really bold in speaking to you," and, he, and he's basically coming back to this: you need to pursue unity. You need to pursue this oneness. Uh, of in, in the spirit and regardless of whether you think I'm right and they're wrong, you actually, like you said, it's a great word, space. You need to give people space to learn and grow. And and I would even argue in some ways say, Hmm, maybe, maybe you're not the strong one in this, in this, maybe, maybe you're actually presuming that you're strong and you're actually not right. Uh,
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I'd like to uh, end our time by just asking if you if what a, what a couple takeaways from the book of Romans. I mean, we've talked we've ran the gamut of of the entire book, but if you were to say in in conjunction with what you said about the overarching theme of Romans, and then some of the particulars we've we've been able to tease out today, what would you say would be one or two takeaways as it relates to how we need to apply for lack of a better term apply the book of romans
1: yeah well i think i one thing i'd say is right the 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 joy and freedom of experiencing god's love hmm. i think is a, a wonderful theme in the book but i think i, I want to say something else and that is just to look at the other side of it if we look at romans 6 that you know who we are in Adam but then when we come to Romans 6 really it's from Romans 8 as well who we are in Christ we've we've uh, we've died and risen with Christ so we're we're new people now we're we're we 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 are identified with christ as our as our head we're incorporated into him we belong to him so we've died to sin so what how exciting and encouraging that sin and death uh aren't aren't the fundamental truths of our lives anymore Mm. the fundamental truth of our life now is righteousness and life Mm. we there isn't already, not yet. we we still sin and we're gonna die physically. But I I think that love of God that's that's freed us, it it is or the grace of God, the grace of God is not just a gift we unwrap, it's a power also that's transforming yeah. us. Yeah. So that's that is that's what's so amazing about the gospel. It's not it's not it's not just the love that accepts us, it is that but it's also a grace that transforms us. Mm-hmm. And uh you know we we need both of those really to have hope. We're we're accepted but we're also being changed and um that's a wonderful theme in Romans and uh a, a wonderful encouragement in our lives.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much. This has been extremely enjoyable to to reconnect and to walk through so many beautiful truths in, in romans i i would commend to my hearers uh tom's uh, commentary in the bake it's in the baker series right um Bye. Just-
1: Bye. I just did a second edition um, that came out in 2018 or something like that.
0: Okay. I think I have the old one. It's definitely the old, the older version. Is it, were there any changes in your, in your commentary, like substantial uh, changes that were, were or, or would you just rather say buy the, buy the new book and you can find out?
1: There are some changes. I, I would say, you know, for most people reading the commentary, they're not going to stand out, but of course i I caught up in 20 years of research. There were okay. 20, 20, major commentaries that came out in the 20 year interval. I mean, really, probably more. Twenty that I interacted with. Many monographs, many articles. Yeah. I I uh my part on righteousness of God in 116 mm-hmm. and 17, I I I rewrote in significant ways. Um I I changed my mind on Romans 2, 14, and 15. You can... Yeah, Yeah, that's a teaser. (laughs) That's that's a very difficult passage. Yeah, yeah. And I took into account, especially in Romans 7, I took into account Will Timmons's... Will Timmons teaches at Moore College New Testament in Australia. I took into account Will Timmons's dissertation on Romans 7. And I really liked Will's work, and uh, it really... It really shaped how I understand. I don't think I really say anything that much different in Romans 7, but Will's work kind of... Buttressed it a little bit. It gave me a, a sharper profile in uh, in those verses. And then lots of little things here and there. Yeah. yeah.
0: Ex- excellent. Well, good. Well, then go by the 2018 uh, commentary. Just You can uh, type Amazon, Romans Shriner, and uh, do that. And I would also commend uh, Tom's... Pauline theology uh, that he's written on that gives you a large uh, framework from which to understand uh, the, the the book of Romans, and then I I personally love your Galatians commentary that that's in the what, what's the name of the series? exegetical
1: commentary? is that- exegetical commentary of the New Testament.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. It's a it's a great uh it's a great series, but particularly Tom's commentary on Galatians is immensely helpful and very, very practical. That's what I love about that series as well, is it it gives you these, okay, what does this mean? Like this is good. We've done the looking at the Greek and and looking at the, the exegesis, the hermeneutical method, and all those things, but then okay, how does this play itself out in our everyday lives? So so I love that commentary series as well. So Tom, thank you so much. And would you do us the favor of just closing us in prayer?
1: sure sure thank you oh father we do give you great thanks and praise for the good news of the gospel we thank you for the the free forgiveness that is ours in christ based on his death and resurrection for us and lord we give you great great praise that now we're united to Christ by faith and mm-hmm. that you are changing us
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that you will uh, transform us completely into your likeness at your coming. So Lord, give us hope, uh, give us joy that, uh, that doesn't come from ourselves, but only from you. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Tom. You have an amazing day. You
1: too, Matt.